Well, good morning. It is good to be here. Uh, we're humbled to be asked to come this weekend and uh, speak and meet with the deacons. Uh, we've had um, just a great time getting to know Adam and Rachel and their family um, and others that we've been able to interact with a couple weeks ago when we were here and then this week. Adam did introduce uh, our family. Um, for those of you that I haven't talked to or we haven't talked to uh, in depth, just met, uh, we are from Pittsburgh. We've been in Pittsburgh for about 11 and a half years, um, and uh, the Lord has been uh, working uh, to, in our hearts um, about the possibility of a ministry position, and um, so we're just, again, excited to be here and thankful for the opportunity um, to be here. We are in Luke 19, uh, which I believe is page 878, if you're using the Bible uh, provided for you. And really, I think if you have spent any length of time in um, church growing up or even um, working with kids, this is kind of one of those Sunday school stories about Zacchaeus. Um, and so we're going to look at these 10 verses here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. I hope you always would feel welcome uh, to be here, uh, but I, I, I'm not the, the regular speaker, so don't uh, maybe judge the church based on that. I did warn Adam. He said, there's some people joining today. I said, maybe you should do that before I speak um, rather than afterwards, but I guess that'll be afterwards. Um, the text was already read for us this morning, and so what I would like to do is just pray, and uh, then we'll, we'll jump in this morning to the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Father, this morning, my prayer is that we would have ears to hear. Holy Spirit, take your word, not my words, not my thoughts, but take your word and speak to each one of us here this morning. You are doing a work in our lives, work a work that only we know as individuals, a work that, that I don't know what's happening across this room today. And so we trust that you will continue to draw us to yourself, continue to show us Christ, and we desire to simply glorify you this morning. So guide my lips and my thoughts. Uh, and again, let us be open to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story of Zacchaeus starts out with Jesus coming in to Jericho. He's entering the city and the crowds are building. His, his popularity, his ministry is growing. 
This, in our day and age, we might say it like Twitter is blowing up, uh, hashtags, healings, things are happening, and this crowd is just drawing to Christ. And they're running ahead on the roads and as, at, at the entrances to these towns and cities, and they're waiting to see Jesus. And, and so we have this, cha- this chaotic scene, and news of Jesus piques Zacchaeus' interest. And in verse number 3, it, it, it really reveals the heart of Zacchaeus and, and what he was interested in and sets the direction for us this morning. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. This morning, you might be here with that, that same desire. Maybe this whole Christianity thing is new to you. You've been running after success and wealth and careers and family goals. And none of it means anything because life is still left empty, unsatisfied. And so you're looking for answers. Maybe you've been in church for years and the burdens that you've been carrying have just weighed you down and you're starting to think, is, is this whole Jesus thing even worth it? Does it really matter or is it just a way that we cope with life? Maybe you're ready to throw in the towel. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you love Christ with all of your heart and you just want to know more of him and you want to hear more about him Wherever you're at this morning, I think if we are open to hear, there is hope in this passage as we discover who Jesus is. He is someone who knows you well. He desires to be in relationship with you, and he is actively seeking those who would believe. Zacchaeus would find out that Jesus is the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. This morning, I want to consider with you what Zacchaeus experienced and how Jesus is active in seeking the sa- in saving the lost today. And we'll, we'll see this in three ways. Jesus knows you, he moves towards you, and he offers salvation. So the first thing we want to look at is Jesus knows you. Jesus comes into Jericho, an important city of trade. It's bustling with ac- activity. People are all around him. And Luke, our author, He zeroes in on one guy, Zacchaeus. Now, if I ask you, what do you know about Zacchaeus? Many of you would say, he's a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. That's what comes to my mind immediately. And he is short, and we'll talk about that. But who was Zacchaeus? Well, our text tells us in verse number two, uh, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So in this culture, the area was under Roman control, Roman authority. The Jews hated the Romans, but they didn't have the means or the capacity to overthrow them. And so the Roman authorities would impose various customs, tolls, taxes on the people. And the job of collecting these taxes was really kind of like leased out to individuals. So you would sort of bid on this job, and you would get that job as a tax collector. There wasn't a whole lot of regulation as far as how these taxes were collected. Rome would say, we want this amount, and whatever you collect above that, that's yours to keep. So you could see how there would be a lot of abuse, a lot of mistreatment, 
uh, on the people by these tax collectors. And the Jews, though they hated the Romans, they hated the, the tax collectors even more. We, we, when we hear IRS, we don't like that, right? <laughs> they hated tax collectors even more than we hate paying taxes. Um, the Jewish Mishnah, which is a religious book for the Jews, one of theirs, um, it says that it is permissible to lie to a tax collector to protect your property. So you're allowed to lie to them because they would abuse. Uh, this same, this same uh, book prohibits receiving alms or giving uh, from tax collectors because it's considered dirty money. We don't, we don't want it. It's dirty because of the way that it was gotten. If a tax collector entered the home of a person, all the contents of the house were considered unclean. And tax collectors were not permitted to enter the temple. That was an act of defilement. So this is Zacchaeus. And how many Facebook friends did Zacchaeus have? Not a whole lot. On top of that, he was short. And he was trying to see who Jesus was. Now I'm going to do something that has never been done at Covington Baptist Church before. Does that scare you? It should, it should. Uh, but you'll, you'll see why. Um, this last February, so we, we are from Pittsburgh, uh, but I will reveal I grew up on the other end of the state in Philly, and so those are all my sports teams. And <laughs> so this last February, I got to witness something along with everyone else that's never happened before. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. And it was, my wife said, uh, I think you got more excited than the day we got married when they won. Um, so we were watching in Pittsburgh with some family, and that was a Sunday evening, and the thoughts over the next couple of days was, boy, we should really go to the parade. And I didn't know how it was going to work with work schedules and things, so I decided to take my oldest daughter, Avalon, and uh, my brother and my dad, uh, we, we all met there. We left on a Wednesday afternoon, stayed with my aunt, who was about 10 blocks from the parade route. And uh, the next morning, Thursday, we got up and we stood with all of these drunk, crazy people. And we were waiting to see these busloads of players. And it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, but in the midst of that, this, there's this crowd and, and there's pictures of it. I, I get to put pictures up of this parade. Um, there, this crowd was just, there was tons of people everywhere. And they were climbing trees. They were climbing, as you can see in, in the one picture, a trash truck that was waiting for cleanup. I mean, there were, they were everywhere. And in the midst of this, I'm looking at Avalon and I can barely see uh, what's happening. And Avalon is only seeing the backs of people. That's it. And I noticed her, and as her dad and her friend, I said, why don't, you, why don't you get up on my shoulders? When those buses came with the players, let me put you on my shoulders so you can see what's happening, and while you're up there, here's my cell phone, take some pictures. <laughs> so I say all that to say Avalon had a friend to help her see 
Zacchaeus, he had no friends. Zacchaeus had no friends, so he runs ahead and he climbs a sycamore tree. And we have a picture of that here, uh, at least I don't know if it was that big, but you could see these low-lying branches that would be easy to climb. And Zacchaeus climbs up into the sycamore tree and he's waiting for his chance to see Jesus. And Jesus approaches and he sees Zacchaeus and, and something really strange happens. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. I don't think Zacchaeus was expecting that. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. He's never seen him before, yet Jesus already knew him. How is this possible? How, how does Jesus know his name? He's, he's the outcast. He's being overlooked by everyone, and Jesus makes a beeline to where Zacchaeus is in this tree and calls him by name. Well, Jesus is no ordinary man. He is the God-man. He is fully God, yet he's fully man, possessing all the qualities and characteristics of God in flesh, including knowing all things. And Jesus didn't just know Zacchaeus' name. He knew everything about Zacchaeus. He knew why Zacchaeus was there that day in that tree, he knew the hurt that Zacchaeus experienced when person after person looked over him. He knew the deceit and the swindling and the thievery that filled Zacchaeus' heart as he went to work every day collecting taxes. Nothing about Zacchaeus was hidden from Jesus. This morning, Jesus sees and he knows you. He, he knows you right where you are in your life in your heart, you may be climbing to get a better view of Jesus, looking for help, or you may be running as far away from Jesus as you possibly can. But regardless of where you are, Jesus sees you and he knows you. He sees past the facades that we put on. He sees you for you. He sees the things that no one else sees and he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your dreams your motives, your ambitions. He knows your hurts and your struggles and your failures. He knows your pain. He knows your emptiness. He knows your sin. There's nothing that Jesus doesn't know about you. He knows the financial struggles you experience month after month. He knows the pain that you bear because of the loss of a child. He knows the burden that you're bearing because of a rebellious child. He knows what the kids at school are saying about you and how that makes you feel. He knows the pressures that you face at being the perfect mom. He knows the loneliness that you endure as you sit and wait for someone to be your friend. Jesus notices you. He notices the outcast. He notices the marginalized. I, I don't know your reputation in this church. I don't know your reputation in this town, at your school, or your place of work. But I can say that Jesus sees you, and he knows you, and he loves you. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, I I'm not so sure that Jesus loves me after seeing me. I, I know the kind of person that I am. I'm selfish and my sin is ugly. I'm far from perfect and nobody loves unlovely people, right? But Jesus doesn't just know you, Jesus moves towards you. 
I wonder how shocked as we get into verses 5 through 7 that Zacchaeus was when Jesus speaks these words, Zacchaeus hurried down and come, or sorry, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house. Of all the people there, Jesus wants to dine with Zacchaeus. The idea here is to lodge with, to stay with, to eat a meal with. And in those days, religious leaders didn't just eat and lodge with anybody. I mean, they had reputations to uphold. We can't be seen with that person. What will other people think? But while everyone else was pushing Zacchaeus away, Jesus moves towards him in love. Does it shock you that Jesus moves towards Zacchaeus? That he moves towards us despite who we are? We are wicked, sinful lawbreakers. The Bible says before we come to Christ, we are enemies to God. And yet Jesus in love moves towards his enemy. He loves you just as you sit here this morning. He's not asking us to clean ourselves up before we come to him. But he's saying, I want to be with you. I want to share a meal with you. I want to enjoy your company. I want to dine with you. Do you see Jesus' love for you this morning? And I think an even more important question is, do you accept it? Do you accept that Jesus just loves you for you? Zacchaeus' response is the right response. In verse number 6, what does it say? He received him joyfully. Zacchaeus didn't really in a prideful way say, well, you don't, don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what other people think about me. I'm not worthy to be loved. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. He says, it says he received him joyfully. But that's not always the response that we have. Some of us, some of us are reluctant to let Jesus in, or we even openly resist. We keep him at arm's length. We don't want anyone to get close. We don't think anyone can help, and we don't want to be let down. I've opened my heart up before to people, and it's been broken. But Jesus moves towards us in love. Friends, Jesus is the only one who can help. He is the only one. I think the theme of, of uh, your series in Exodus, only God can rescue and redeem. It's the same teaching that we see here. It's the same teaching all throughout the scriptures. He is the only one that can fully know you and still move towards you in love. Would you receive him joyfully? Would you let him lodge with you in your life? Well, this, this causes a stir among the people. Verse number seven, uh, the people start to grumble. And you notice the difference in reaction between Jesus seeing Zacchaeus and the people seeing Zacchaeus. Jesus moves towards him. The people just start complaining and grumbling. It's the, the idea is to grumble out loud. So when Jesus asks Zacchaeus, can, can I stay at your house or I'm going to stay at your house, you can sort of hear this rumble of confusion across the crowd that's shifting into complaining. 
can you believe this guy? Can you believe what's happening here? Notice, they, it's not Zacchaeus that this is directed at. They have a problem with Jesus. He's the one that they're complaining about. How can he, does, doesn't he know who Zacchaeus is? How can he move towards him? How can he invite himself to dine with Zacchaeus? The crowd is blaming Christ and pushing aside the unlovely. And brothers and sisters, I'm not so sure we're much different than this crowd. There may not be a tax collector trying to see Jesus, but if you're like me, there are other people in our lives that we marginalize, that we overlook, that we push aside. There's people groups that we feel are below us. Who comes to your mind when I say, what person do you not want at your dinner table? What person do you not want eating with you that everyone else in life is running from, everyone else in life is avoiding? And you just kind of go along with the crowd. And as Christians, I know my heart, we, we tend to, to hide our pride and our dislike for certain people by wrapping our, our, our disdain in religious trappings. But I... You know, I just can't associate with, with that person or a person that lives that way. What would others think? And if Jesus was in our midst this morning and he would move towards the unlovely sinner, what would our reaction be? I'm not so sure that it would be much different than the crowd and maybe what's keeping that unlovely person from seeing Jesus is that you and I are blocking their view. How do you see others? Maybe it's someone in this congregation. Maybe you're sitting in front, behind them, next to them, and you just avoid and ignore them. Maybe it's someone in this town. Maybe it's someone with a different class than you or a race or a different lifestyle or a different political position. Christian, there is a call to move towards the unlovely. There's a call to move towards the outcast, just as Jesus is doing. Jesus knows you. Jesus moves towards you. And lastly, number three, Jesus offers salvation. It's important for us to understand that Jesus' love is not just based on the fact that he's a really nice guy. That, that is true about Jesus. It's true about God. But as we understand God's love for us, in Christ, for us in Christ, we must understand that it's rooted in the salvation that he offers. It's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. While Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus knows Zacchaeus and he moves towards him in love, he's offering something to Zacchaeus. He's offering to him salvation. And in a very basic meaning of salvation, when, it, when we, we think about that, it's, it's to be preserved from harm. It's to be removed from harm's way, delivered to safety. And as sinful people, we, because of our sin, we have a penalty for that sin. And that is death and the wrath of God. And Jesus absolutely offers deliverance from sin and hell. 
That's, in, that's a part of our sal- that, of salvation that he's talking about. And he offers an eternal dwelling with God. But the fullness of salvation is in a relationship with our Creator. If I could say it like this, it's not just that Jesus offers this salvation that we experience like eternal life and deliverance from hell apart from him, but Jesus offers himself. Jesus is salvation. This is what he's saying in verse number nine. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Yes, salvation from hell. Yes, salvation, eternal life. But literally, Jesus is salvation. That's what Jesus is claiming here. I am life. I am the one that you need. I am your deliverer. And it's only through a relationship with me that you experience this salvation. When we get Jesus, we get God. And without God, we are lost. Like Zacchaeus, who was lost, but as we get to verse 9, he is now saved. Jesus is our only hope. Life in Christ as well comes as we repent and believe. Repentance and faith, this is how we enter into a relationship with God, and this is now the life of a Christian. We don't move past repentance and faith. We move deeper into repentance and faith. And this is exactly what Zacchaeus demonstrates in front of this crowd. Notice the words of verse number eight. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, and I think this audience here in front of him, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Thinking about giving half of your goods away to the poor. Zacchaeus was rich. He had lots of money. And what he's saying here, he's he's not saying, if I have, and I'm not really sure that I have, but he's saying, if I have and I admit that I have defrauded others. And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to um, restore back what I've taken. The idea here is, He's basically, um, if I have defrauded, the the word defrauded there is like blackmailed. So he's gotten money by illegitimate gain. And Zacchaeus was turning from his life of sin, turning to Jesus Christ. He was restoring in restitution those that he had sinned against In Numbers chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 22, the law required restitution. So Zacchaeus very clearly viewed his actions as stealing. I've stolen from these people. So receiving this salvation that Jesus offers means that we must turn from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ. We don't have to clean ourselves up before coming to Jesus, but when we encounter Jesus, we will leave changed. Zacchaeus' words weren't only demonstrating repentance, they were also demonstrating faith. Um, To give away half of your wealth, and then he says, "If 
if I have defrauded anyone else, I'll restore it fourfold. You see, it's very clear Zacchaeus' trust was no longer in his riches. His faith was no longer in the possessions that he had in this life. His faith was now directed to Jesus. He's willing to give up his wealth and probably his career. And why would someone do this unless they have found a greater treasure? Something greater than the things that he had been striving for all his life. His words are a demonstration of faith, but notice also Jesus' words. After he says salvation has come to this house, he says since he is also a son of of Abraham. What exactly is he saying here? What's he mean, son of Abraham? Well, what's interesting is that a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, to join the Romans, it was kind of how it was perceived. You were like switching sides, and so that, that's one of the reasons the Jews hated the tax collector so much. But a tax collector was considered to have forfeited his status as a son of Abraham. In other words, he was no longer a child of God. And so when Jesus says he also is a son of Abraham, it was going against everything that that crowd was thinking in that moment. Everything. That crowd was thinking, how could Zacchaeus make up for all the wrong that he's done? for all the people that he's defrauded, for all the offenses, how could he undo all of those things that he's committed against others? And most importantly, how could he undo all those things that he's committed, all that sin he's committed against God? And the answer is he can't. He can't give enough restitution back. And neither can you and I. No amount of restitution can undo any of the wrong that we've committed, any of the sin that we've committed, there is no possible way to pay back God. There is no way to tip the scales in our favor. It cannot be done. No amount of right living will impress God enough to welcome you as his child. So then what? It is only by faith in Jesus Christ that we can be made right with God. Jesus and his perfect work in dying on the cross for our sins and rising again, it's in that work that we put our faith. It's in him that we put our hope. This is how salvation has always come, and this is what it means to be a son of Abraham. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, on the the screen for you, Notice what Paul writes, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Jesus is affirming the faith of Zacchaeus. He is now the son of Abraham by faith in Christ Zacchaeus, a son of Abraham, has been found, and the angels in heaven are rejoicing. If we, could, if we could look into the heart of Zacchaeus prior to encountering Jesus on the tree, I think we would find someone who's tried, tried the path of successful career, of striving after wealth and prestige and popularity, perhaps. He's tried the happy family 
but ultimately he was, he was lost. He was searching. He was drowning in despair. He had no hope in his life. And what he found in Jesus was someone who was seeking and saving lost people just like him. This morning, you and I are no different. Outside of Christ, we are lost. He is our only hope. And what Zacchaeus finds in Jesus was someone uh, that is actively seeking and saving lost people. He, is, he knows them, he's moving towards them, and he's offering to them, offering to us this morning salvation. God has not left us alone. He's not left us lost in our sin, blinded to our own sinful hearts. And what I think is amazing about our God is that he is awesome and he's powerful and and he's perfectly holy, but yet he's patient and he's loving and he's gracious and he's merciful and he has come to this world and he's come for the lost. He's come for his lost sheep. There is hope this morning in Jesus. Would you receive him joyfully? Let's pray. Father, I will trust that I was faithful to your word, faithful to the message of the gospel. I I need Jesus. I need this salvation If there is anything this morning that we are trusting in other than Christ, reveal that to us. Show us our heart. And as you show us our heart, show us more of the gospel. Show us the love that you have for us in Christ. That you are moving toward us in our sin, in our weaknesses, in our failures. And you are offering to us life. Thank you that we are not left in our sin and under your judgment, but that we have hope this morning. And I do pray that we we would receive Jesus joyfully in our lives. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.